0: Uh, biblical parenting lesson five, five of six. So we're down the home stretch here. Um, We had some weird, I had this weird thing happen. I sat down in the chair and this leg is like, I need to put a book under it or something. So if I fall over or if you see me acting strangely, then I guess that's what it is. If you're a newbie teacher or whatever, then people just kind of throw little hazes in as you go to see if you can adapt, and maybe that's part of the the learning process so they can see if you're a keeper. So anyway, it's all good. Uh, We're going to do, if we go to the uh, overview chart, we're going to do a quick review. We're going to get into the remainder of the gift of the blessing, which we talked about in part last week and when we were talking about communication. And we're primarily going to spend most of our time in instilling a heart of discipline and try this time to do better than I did last week as far as wrapping up so that we can have some better Q&A. Um, but I appreciate you giving me a little extra time to talk. Next week, which is our last week, uh, we, we've gotten slightly behind the overview, but that's okay because I left next week just as kind of spillover, And next week we're going to hit character. And we're going to talk a little bit about calling, uh, helping a child understand their calling and any wrap-up summary stuff you guys want to go through. So uh, if we go to the next chart, was anybody brave enough or did anybody take the time to do this exercise? The John the Wise, Suzanne the Merciful, Fred the Driven exercise. Did anybody uh, have any aha moments, anything you want to share? Yes. Gabriel the Just. So, what did that mean? Um He's a little baller and If something's not right, he's, "Amy, that's not right. Mom, why you do that? That's not very
1: nice." So he has everything. He knows the things are to be a certain way, and when they're thrown off, he's got to make sure everybody's
0: okay and everything's right. So, what did you? So. What did you do based on that, or did that change anything with regard to the way in which you look at parenting, Gabriel? I think the thing, part of the you know this little exercise that you can get out of it is helping us narrow down some certain characteristic or, or character trait about our child that is very very valuable, um, and that something that we can that that child can really contribute. If you remember, we one of the things that we talked about, and we'll talk a little bit more about it, is picturing a special future in terms of the blessing. And there's usually a double-edged sword to any character trait. There's things that are wonderful about it and there's, there's things that are gaps that need to be filled. Uh, but help, one of the things that these adjectives help us do is be able to communicate the individuality of the child, something that's unique about the child, at the same time looking into the future and saying, this is an area where you really can make a huge contribution. This is an area where God can really use you and use how he made you uh, in a unique and special way. And oh, by the way, there are going to also be children that are not quite as just as, as Gabriel and people that, that, that we interact with that are not quite wired that way, and, and so we need to learn justice tempered with mercy. And so that's the, the flip side of it. Uh, and, and so that's the reason for the exercises, A, to help us hone in on something that perhaps we can say that's unique about the child, picturing a, spe- a special future, being able to envision something down the road for them while at the same time under, helping them understand that there are areas that need to be tempered as well. Anything else? Yes? give a little story about the Sure. So
1: we sat down at dinner, and my one of my daughters had put a car card with our name on it at each, at each placement, right? And after we ate, she asked us. So then we sat down and said, okay, which love language is that? So we went to the love language, right? And we said, you know, words of affirmation. That's really how she is, she is wanting to show her love to us, right? And so then we said, well, let's just make sure we're aware of that, because that's part of the way she would like
0: to be. Okay. So we just
1: kind of did the exercise
0: Awesome. Very good. So did you uh, did any of the other kids lock into that? And... yeah, I think
1: they're you know, we we talked about it a little bit before, and just I think it's just good to write in the That's exactly.
0: something you've got to get to, right? With your your are kind of stuck, right? Right. And so, and I'm sure they may not get it right now, but, but you kind of wore it with them, you know. If for us, too, right, we have to, right. <laughs> to get home for that. Right. Right. Very good. Thanks, Rex. Anything else? Any other aha moments? Yes, Steph? I think Right. So there there are others out there just like her. Yeah, excellent. Okay, well, thank you for that. Let's, uh, Let's look at the remainder of the gift of the blessing. For those who weren't here last week, I referenced in the context of communication, I referenced actually three of the elements in Smalley and Trent's gift of the blessing. I, again, am not saying that this is gospel. I think that they do a pretty good job of reinforcing their points biblically in the context of the Old Testament blessing particularly. Uh, but it is good, uh, reasonable, uh, I think, guidance for parents and particularly helps us in the whole area of the affirmation cont- uh, uh, phase. And, and I'll talk about that in, in the context of discipline in a few minutes. And so if I didn't give the definition last week, blessing is, is literally meaning to bow the knee in the, in, in when we bless God, I've heard some people say, well, we don't bless God. Well, actually we do, but we don't bless him necessarily the same way we think about blessing one another. We bless God means to confer praise, where when we bless others, it means more to confer favor or favor towards them. So there is a little bit of a difference. But when you think about the blessings of the Old Testament, think about some of the stories of, of the patriarch blessing his children, that's really what it was, in large part, was conferring favor upon the children, and they were very unique and tailored blessings, if you think about just the blessings that Jacob gave to his children and how each one of them was unique to that child. And that's a little bit of the context of this. And I won't go into too much detail except to to say that Smalley and Trent identify five key areas in which we can convey blessing to our children. And these are not just once-in-a-lifetime types of things when the children are getting ready to go to college and you lay hands on them and then confer the blessing and then off they go kind of thing into life. That's not the point. The point is these are regular things that we do as we bless our children and we are blessings to our children uh, as they're growing. And the first one, and we didn't talk about this, is meaningful touch. And the whole idea here is is that the act of touch physically and particularly to those whom touch is the love language, if you remember when we we studied that, communicates warmth, personal acceptance and affirmation. And I gave you that story last week about the little girl who was frightened by the lightning storm and so dad went in and, and, and tried to reassure her and said, remember, God is always here. And she said, but Daddy, right now I need someone with skin on. You know, she needed someone to hold her. She needed someone to touch her. She needed someone, you know, to reassure her physically. And we are wired that way uh, to, to to need that, and particularly with younger kids, but even appropriately all through the years to be able to hug our children, to be able to, put our our arms on our children's shoulder you know if it's the guy thing whatever you know sometimes it gets a little bit awkward and uncomfortable but it it doesn't need to be over time and I am a father of boys so I don't have personal experience with regard to girls but I know the boy thing the, the, the boys being able to feel the strength as Eldridge puts it of their father you know wrestling with them Getting, you know, and just and and doing that kind of thing is 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 a a fundamental way in which we communicate uh, fatherhood, bestowing, you know, manhood unto a son. And similarly, studies have shown that that girls need to feel the tenderness of their father's touch. Not to say you moms aren't important, but the dads really have to pay attention to that. And sometimes we dads have a hard time with the whole touch thing. It just makes us feel awkward and uncomfortable. Similarly, I would say just from personal experience that moms, as the kids get older, you know, and you're the high school and college years, we, we do want to convey meaningful touch, but we might not want to do it in the same way as when they were one or two. You know, oh, my little sugar, you know, I mean, that, that is a little awkward. But a, a nice, meaningful, reinforcing touch Communicating love goes a long way, and so that is their first uh, element of the of the gift of the blessing. We talked about the the middle three, which are words of blessing, which are regular communication of encouragement and, and acceptance and love. And again, some of us just struggle with this sort of thing. <clears throat> some people, like Cheryl, in our household, are natural encouragers. And if you've got a natural encourager, that just goes a huge way but for those of us who are not natural encouragers it doesn't get us off the hook we need to practice encouraging our children and not just and, and look for opportunities to encourage our children not just for the things that they've done although that's good but for who they are and for those of us and i'm and, and i'll tell you the words i love you and the words well done i'm proud of you good job I appreciate you doing this. Those are not natural words for Lane. If you're in that camp, I feel your pain. That is not something that comes naturally. But God has really challenged me personally as a parent and also as a as a co-worker and a, and a supervisor that I need to be a better encourager. I need to focus on words of blessing, communication of encouragement, acceptance, and love. And And I think about it what is it that motivates me? Well, encouragement certainly motivates me. So why should I believe that others would not similarly be motivated by hearing well done, by hearing we're proud of you, by hearing, you know, we, we really appreciate what you did. Somebody, so one of the kids does something extra. You know, the kids are on time. Thanks for doing that. Just, just regular encouragement it goes a long, long way. Uh, those words, the old sticks and stones thing, it just ain't true, right? It's not true. Uh, Words do hurt, but words also build up, and that's what the Proverbs tell us. Cheryl, did you have... Right, right. What is it that, that makes us uniquely us? And not just lip service, but, but really true, that we are fearfully and wonderfully and uniquely and individually made, uh, even on our down days. Okay, thanks. Uh, the, the other one we talked about, attaching high value, and I told you that story from this book about the girl who was born with, with the limb, with the handicap, and how it, the parents really took it upon themselves, particularly since... A, they were parents, but B, they had waited so long for her and how they reinforced that high value and, and just that, that high esteem that they had for her and that privilege that they felt of her being their daughter and how that, communicated, that communication over the years got, back, got past so many natural kinds of things that you're going to have to overcome through handicap. You know, the, the whole dating thing, the, the rude or harsh comments thing, and how she came out as a very well adjusted child, somebody who uh, was able to drink in the Father's love uh, and really understand who she was in Christ because of the high value that the parents had attached to her. The, the, the third one, or excuse me, the fourth one is picturing a special future. And we talked a little bit about being able to communicate, and this, this got back to the adjective or the character you're really great in this area. And I can see God using you in a special way here. Now, I'm not talking about, I guess it's okay if you want to say, Johnny, I think you're going to be, oh, I said I changed. Tommy, I think you're going to be a great lawyer. That's good. I mean, you've got a real critical, you're you're a good critical thinker. uh, You're eloquent, articulate. I don't know if I'm giving lawyers too much credit, but, you know, those kinds of things. And, and I can really see you being, having a great mind for law. That's good. But even better, perhaps, is I can really see you being used by God because you have a merciful heart and you have a, you, a natural outreach for people who are downtrodden, people who are hurting, people who need to be encouraged, people who need under, to understand the, or to have the gift of hospitality practiced to them. You know, better yet, even us being able to reinforce their character independent of their profession. Profession's great. You know, that's part of the whole uh, living in godliness. But how their character manifests itself independent of what their particular vocational calling is. And um, there there is a story in here, and it's kind of the inverse of it. it. They start off, if you happen to read the book, about they start off in the intro to the chapter talking about picturing a special future with this mom just making this offhand comment to her son that she had made regularly over and over again as she held her grandchild for the first time, the son's child, she said, it's amazing, Johnny, that somebody as ugly as you are could have such a beautiful grandchild. Right? And this was just an offhand, careless, you know, and and she's she's making kind of a, a joke. She's joking about Johnny. Now, maybe you've had similar comments made to you. Maybe you've lived that. And it talks about the response that Johnny finally had the the wherewithal and had been in counseling and, and was able to say, Mom, you know, I have been dealing with those kinds of statements of picturing a negative future for me because you've called me fat, because you've called me ugly. And this negative future I've struggled with all of my adult years. And so that's the inverse. When we can be careless with our words, even if we're just joking with our kids and uh, how easy it is for us to be able to deflate them and to put the inverse, unspecial future into their hearts as opposed to picturing the special future. Now, I'm not saying sugarcoat, you know, blow sunshine, you know, tell them a bunch of lies. That's not what I'm saying. But being able to look for the special future for each one of those children is, I think, the point. And the last one is the act of commitment. We didn't talk about that one. Uh, it is the commitment that we need to not just say but do. We need to be willing to invest ourselves, our resources, our time, our talents, our finances to train our children up according to their needs and their giftedness. So it's one thing to say, Tommy, I think it would be great, you're, I think you're going to be a great pianist. You've got the ability to do piano for whatever reason you've come to this conclusion. But if you're not willing to invest yourself in lessons for Tommy and you're not willing to buy Tommy a piano, then Tommy could possibly be the greatest pianist in the world and what good would that be? Now, I'm not, please hear me, saying go off and you have to buy everything that you think your kid might be good at or get them into lessons in every area that you think. I mean, that's not what I'm saying at all. But it's it's just the whole, you have to talk... talk and walk the walk right? You, you, you can't just say things and communicate these kinds of things and not be willing to reinforce it with the resources that God has equipped us with now you do not have to feel guilty right? you know. all of us are resource constrained N- none of us come with unlimited amount of money and unlimited amount of time and unlimited amount of everything and we can just lavish everything upon our kids, I'm not saying that we have to be wise and discerning about that but we do have to be willing to do it and it may mean that sometimes we have to make the hard decision between something that we think our kids are really going to be good at or the flat screen. You know, are we going to invest ourselves in, in something that we think has a lifetime of opportunity for our children or something that frankly is very gratifying for us and we just frankly like to have it right now? And I work hard and I should have it. So, you know. And that might be a decision that we do have to make and that might be a hard decision for us. And that's what they're getting at, the active commitment uh, in terms of being willing to know our children, to assess our children, to give them the sense of esteem, but at the same time to reinforce it and to be willing, and this gets into the next phase, to discipline our children, which is one of the things that they say in here. Part of active commitment to our children is appropriate discipline of our children. So any questions about the gift of the blessing? Again, I think it's out of print, unfortunately. If you ever have a chance to, to get your hands on it, if you've not, I think it's a good book to go through. It certainly helped me. There's much more to it than just what I've summarized. But I think in terms of reinforcing some things that we see in our culture, people just struggling with the whole issue of where does my identity, where does my acceptance, a right view of themselves, a correct biblical view of themselves in the context of God's love, I think it sets the stage. So we're ready to go on? Okay, so the next topic we're going to hit is uh, discipline. And the reason why I chose to go in this order is I want to say right off the bat that discipline is an absolutely fundamental ingredient to parenting. In fact, it may be one of the first things we think about in parenting. But if we get it out of order... Of what I I believe that if we get out of order of the way in which I presented it, discipline can be, let's say it will not become what we hope for. And what I mean by that is there are some of us that are just natural disciplinarians. And we know we need to discipline our children, and we do not want our children to skate by, and we want to be sure they understand the rules, and we want to be sure that there's good discipline in the house, blah, 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 blah but if that's not in the context of unconditional love and acceptance of conferring a blessing upon our children of conferring favor upon our children if they're not getting that sense of the the underpinnings of our discipline then our discipline i would say is is not it's not balanced discipline needs to be in the context of the blessing discipline needs to be in the context of the unconditional god you know, the Love in the way in which God loves us as His children, and then, discipline is a wonderful and beautiful and necessary thing. Now, I want to kind of review by saying the target of discipline goes back to lesson two, and it is I submit to you godliness. Godliness, remember, it's not godlessness, it's not atheism, it's not. It's, it's godliness is best defined. as as far as I can tell, by living our everyday life in in constant thought of God, his will, his glory, and our dependence on him. In other words, as I said, making God part of our story in everything that we do. And, something I didn't say, making sure that we are asking him how we are part of his story, most importantly, in everything that he does or or, or in the, the, the portion of what he does that has to do with us. And so... It's really an active relationship that has has feet, arms, legs every single day of our life in every sphere of our life. And so the lifeline of godliness, as I said, is authentic living and growing relationship with God through Jesus Christ. It's not a bunch of rules and regulations. It's not a bunch of do's and don'ts. It is how we live to glorify God in everything that we do and how we enjoy him and how we find freedom in him how we just can just soak up that relationship in him. But godliness, I believe, requires a heart of discipline. It requires a heart of discipline. So that's where I want to jump off, going back to Lesson 2 and in the context of Lesson 3 and 4, and now talking about discipline or instilling a heart of discipline. So on the next chart, let's talk about what it is. Now, when you think about discipline, do you think about a positive thing or a negative thing? Just naturally. Negative? Okay. Is there anybody who naturally thinks about discipline positively? Somewhat? Okay. I I, I don't, okay, naturally think about discipline positively. I think about the fact that discipline is going to, quote, unquote, hurt, right? The old no pain, no gain. If you want to do something and you want to work hard for it, the, the, the training that's involved is going to hurt. So that's one way of looking at it. Uh, but the Bible says while it's going to hurt and it's not going to seem pleasant at the time, rather it's going to seem painful, later on, Hebrews 12.11, it produces a harvest. And that's the objective of discipline. It's the harvest. The goal is the harvest of godliness and everything that that entails, not the pain. Okay, So there's a little Nike here. right? There, there's pain and gain in Hebrews 12.11. Uh, but what is it? What is discipline? Well, there's, if you go to Webster's and you just look up diction, definitions, there's quite a few. But we usually associate it with punishment, right? We think about, did you discipline your children, and what are we thinking? Well, did you give them a spanking, or did you tell them they can't do video games, or, you know, whatever. But it's not necessarily punishment. In fact, we kind of have to guard ourselves from thinking that discipline is punishment, discipline is best biblically defined as correcting training that corrects molds or perfects the mental faculties or moral character in other words we're disciplining to something okay it's we're not punishing to something we're disciplining we're training to something now who is training for something right now anybody 5k 10k marathon uh, belt test Anybody? Next graduate degree or undergraduate degree or whatever? Okay. Well, imagine then once upon a time when you did train for something and you were actively on a training program. Okay? The, the training, the punishment that you put yourself through, the pain that you put yourself through was not the objective. Right? Football players don't go out and do two-a-days for the sake of doing two-a-days. Uh, people who do sports don't train themselves just for the fun of training. There's an objective. And the objective of biblical discipline, ultimately godliness, is that perfection okay, or that striving toward perfection of mental faculties or moral character. Now, I'm not saying we're not relying on grace every single day because we absolutely are we are in this process or this journey of sanctification, and that's what discipline is about. So it's a characteristic of biblical love, and if God's not paying attention to us, that's when we need to worry. Okay, what do I mean by that? Proverbs 3.11.12 says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke, because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father and the son that he delights in. In other words, sometimes we say what, you know, I'm going through a really challenging period of time in my life. There's a lot of refinement that's going on. It feels like my knuckles are getting skinned really hard, and I just don't like it, right? And the question is, is God paying attention to you? And we might say God is being mean, right? But what is God doing? He is disciplining you as a father, the son he delights in. Challenging you for some purpose yet to, do, to be determined to grow in character. And that's what we are doing when we discipline as, as parents. Okay, We're not just disciplining for the heck of it, disciplining for fun or whatever. Now, there are lifelong areas of discipline in the next chart. I've just put a few down but what we're trying to do is encourage our children to be people of discipline discipline is not just something you do when they're little it's not something just that you do when they're older we're trying to encourage them to discipline themselves within grace in their studies as they go on to school in their relationships uh, in their in their moral purity in their biblical relationships as, as husbands and wives and fathers and moms, as friends, in their work as stewards of, of the talents and the treasure that's been given to them, in their worship of God, their devotion to God, their prayer life, uh, their, their knowledge of the scriptures, in their character, which we'll talk about next week, in their ministry, whatever ministry areas God has equipped them to be able to do. Those all All those areas require discipline. And so we are encouraging them to grow in discipline in each of those areas and many more. So the objective is not just to say, okay, well, you're out of the house, and let's, let's be honest. What do we hear a lot in our culture? We want our kids to get out of the house. We want them to make sure that if they're boys, that they didn't get a girl pregnant, and if they're girls, they're not pregnant and they've, they've got a scholarship to a good college so that they can go off and get a good job, and we don't want them moving back in with mom and dad. That's the objective. I mean, I'm being a little cynical, but you know what I mean? That resonates, that kind of stuff, that kind of thinking. So we discipline our kids in that context basically to make sure that they follow enough house rules so they don't screw their lives up and so that they get out and they get a good job and then they don't have to bother us anymore. Uh, and they don't have to move back in. Now, I'm being, again, it's a little, but you know what I'm saying. That's not what biblical discipline and godliness is about. We are trying to instill in the children a heart of discipline forever. I mean, so they will be disciplined people forever. So the goal, next chart, of discipline is to move from parent discipline to self-discipline. Okay, in the beginning, we're going to do a lot of parent disciplining. But what we're trying to do is take them on a journey in which as they grow older, as some friends of ours have written, uh, they grow older, it's for them to make more decisions on their own, to have more freedom, freedom from rules and restrictions, and ultimately for us as parents to be counselors rather than directors. Okay, and sometimes we get it backwards. Because early on... We don't have to discipline. Uh, we don't have to, we, you know. We can we can talk to them and so on and so forth. But there's nothing that they're doing that's driving them to such huge problems that it forces us, really forces us to discipline. You know what I mean? The old adage about small children, small problems; big children, big problems. Well, the, as long as they're small, the problems are small. So they might annoy us. They might get on our nerves. That they're being and acting unruly and acting undisciplined. But frankly, we don't really have to do anything about it. There's nothing forcing us to. On the other hand, by the time you're talking about junior high, high school age, those problems from an undisciplined heart are big problems. And then we've got to do something about it. And then, because by, by nature we're forced into it, we start trying to discipline them. Well, how do they respond to that? I would say with resentment and friction. They didn't they weren't instilled a heart of discipline when they were younger, and now we're trying to compensate it when they're older, and natural result of that is friction and tension and resentment between the parent and the child. So the adage would be, and I'm not saying any of us have this perfect, discipline hard early and begin to release. Later. Okay? Now, I don't mean beat your child and abuse your child. That's not what I mean by hard. But be firm in discipline early and then begin to open your hand later. Yes, ma'am? Yes. Yes. Very good good point so um, saying few words saying fewer words saying them in an appropriate way and allowing God spirit to work in their hearts absolutely good counsel so leading us to the next chart which is discipline in the early years Um, let me say that as we talked about in lesson two discipline begins with clear lines of authority Now, we need to show them that we are under authority, but then we also need for them to understand that there are clear lines of authority in the house. And this isn't authoritarianism, again. This isn't beating them over the head. This is biblical authority, like we talked about in Lesson 2. And discipline operates with clearly defined rules, particularly early. There are rules, um, and we need to be sure that they understand them. Again, I pointed out discipline needs to be in the context of unconditional love and acceptance, and it should follow the pattern of aiming the child at the target, which I showed you in Lesson 2, if you go to the next chart, which is when the child does wrong, what are we focused on, the behavior or the heart? Okay, we see the behavior. We're looking for the heart. We're identifying the sin of the heart. We're pointing the child to what is pleasing to God, and we are instructing, and in this case disciplining, with the goal of repentance and freedom. We are trying to help the child see where their sin is and find repentance and freedom in the whole process of of instruction and and discipline. So that's the the, the method we talked about in Lesson 2, and I kind of want to reinforce that. So if you go to the next chart, what are some of the themes of discipline in the early years? Uh, let, me, let me encourage us to speak clearly and certainly. Uh, again, fewer words better, not long lectures. Get the point across succinctly, but certainly and firmly uh, when we're dealing with discipline. State the consequences of disobedience, and to the best of our ability, because this isn't a perfect rule that we can always follow, state them once encourage the children to begin to understand that you're going to say something and you're going to say it one time and you're going to look for them to hear it and to understand it and then you expect them to, as Cheryl says, obey the first time. And so we have a rule in our household called first-time obedience and Cheryl says many times first-time obedience and what we are saying is we don't expect to say something over and over and over again. Your smart kids, your intelligent boys, you can hear what mom's saying. We'll check for confirmation, and then after that, we don't expect you to have to go back to the well and make sure that mom meant what she said. So confirm understanding. Um, stating the consequences of disobedience once. Confirm understanding, and I would encourage you not to threaten, threaten, threaten. You know what I mean? You've seen this. Mom's in target kid's acting up. If you don't get over here, Tommy, and no, 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 no. Well, what does Tommy do? He doesn't pay attention to what Mom says. If you don't get over here, Mommy's going to do da, 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 da. Tommy doesn't do it. Mom doesn't follow up. If you don't get over here, you know, and she just continues to invent threats. Well, what's Tommy figuring out real quickly? Mommy doesn't mean what she says. Her words are empty. Her promises and her commitments are not true. And so the consequences aren't real. And maybe there will be something, but it may or may not have anything to do with what she promised. So state the consequences of disobedience one time. Make sure they understand you. Eye contact, do you understand? And then, you know, some, if you're not sure that they understand, ask them to tell you what did mom say? What did dad say? What did you hear us say? Once they have confirmed to you that they understand, then don't go back to the well. (laughs) Believe it or not, children can get to the point where they are listening one time. Ensure disobedience is intentional. Let me tell you a story. This was the hardest story of disobedience I ever dealt with with my children. And uh, I don't know that I did it right, but I think you'll understand. One time I was sitting at the computer and Cheryl was over next to me, and our youngest son, Shane, uh, who is a particularly passionate child and strong-willed child, was was standing right next to us, and I was teasing Cheryl and going on with her a little bit, and she knew I was teasing, and I knew I was teasing, but Shane did not know I was teasing, and Shane thought that I was hurting Mom, not punching Mom, hurting her, but verbally assaulting Mom. And Shane hauled off and smacked me in the face. I was turned like this, I was typing on a computer, and bam. And it hurt. He was what do you say, Cheryl? Five? About five? About five. And strong kid. And you know, so it, it you know, I was I was a little, you know, stunned just for a minute. <laughs> And and I had an instantaneous decision to make, and I still can't to this day tell you that I made the right one, but my natural instinct was, you know, give him a good swat, a good spanking that he would not forget for a long time for hitting Dad. You don't hit Dad. You show respect to Dad, blah, 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 blah. But here's the point that I'm trying to make, and it gets to this issue of being sure that disobedience is intentional. He was intentional about hitting Dad, okay, and there was no doubt that that was not right. But why did he do it? Why did he hit me? He was protecting mom. He was deeply offended that someone was hurting his mom. And I had to, in kind of a split second, try to evaluate what the overall governing intent was. And if I spanked him, what was I going to communicate? And I decided I was not going to eye for eye it. (laughs) I was going to have a stern conversation with Shane. But I was going to say something like this. Shane... I know that you don't want mom to be hurt. I know that you were trying to protect mom and defend mom. And I really appreciate that. And I hope that you will always do that when dad's not around. But you need to understand, it is not okay to hit dad in the face. And we had to kind of work through that whole thing. And, and to this day, I remember that being one of the hard, hardest decision points I've ever had because it was clearly some tension. There was sin But then there was an overarching intent of the heart that I could see that I did not want to punish. So all this to the point which is to make sure the disobedience is intentional. It is, we understand the rules and it is intentional and the intent of the heart is sin. The governing intent of the heart is sin. And in that case, when they understand the offense, then follow through with whatever discipline it is. In this point, this last one that I already mentioned, follow through with your statements, your warnings, and punishments. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Um, Let us not continue to warn and threaten and cajole and punish if we don't really mean to do that. Now, in Lesson 2, there was a question about the spanking thing, and I kind of went through that whole thing, and Tripp talks about it and several other people talk about it. So I'm not going to get into the whole, uh, unless... You really want me to because of, of time. I'm not going to get into the whole procedures and all that. Everybody's got procedures. Um, I'll, all I want to say is in the, pro, in the proper context of love, of making sure you're measured, of making sure that, it is, uh, that, that, that there is a reinforcement of boundaries, and, as I said in Lesson 2, trying to get past the, phase, the spanking phase as early as possible. Um, Are things that I hold to. Um, I absolutely always spanked my children, and I absolutely made sure that when I spanked my children, they knew that dad was spanking them, not because dad was angry with them, but because dad loved them and because dad wanted to reinforce with them that he wanted what was best for them. Always held them, always spoke tenderly to them afterwards, and always communicated and reinforced. The reason why I was doing it wasn't just to lay one on them and because I was angry and all these sorts of things. And I think you, you hear a lot of that. I think there's a lot of good counsel out there. If there's any questions, let's talk about it in the break. But those key elements of punishment in this case or discipline in the context of love have to, be, have to override, and the child needs to understand that. Um, going to the next chart, because I'm running a little short, discipline in the later years. Remember I said... Discipline firmly, hard, early, relax later. Okay, not don't do the inverse. Because we want to encourage increasing responsibilities and challenges and goals. Okay, now, and, and we want to do this as early as we possibly can. We want to give them responsibilities that, uh, as Greg Harris puts it, matter. Now, we're not going to go out and have five-year-olds that are changing the world as missionaries. But what we want to do is get them to a point where what they are doing in terms of their responsibilities aren't just normal kinds of chore kinds of things that you do um, and, and and quote, unquote, anybody else could do them. Here's what I mean. The other day, Kale was having a hard day. Um, You know, to our kids' credit, they're the only kids on the block that mow the lawn. Everybody else, lawn services and all this sort of thing, and teenage kids, they can't get out and mow a lawn. Okay, that's where we are. So the kids have taken on, and by and large, um, are very happy to jump in and mow the lawn. So that's great. You know, I mean, but Kale was having a difficult day, and we said, Kale, if you cannot commit to this request with a right heart, you know, go inside, and we'll take care of it. Now, you could say, well, that's the wrong message to send because that's letting them off the hook, and I wouldn't disagree with that. But the point is, is that I don't want you going in and attacking work and approaching work bitter and angry and hostile about it. I want you to approach work from a perspective of giving glory to God, and that means mowing the lawn. And if you can't do that, Cale, I'd rather you not do the lawn rather than go around throwing a temper tantrum, you know, whining and crying and all that sort of thing. So let's go back... Let's get level about it. Let's get the right heart towards work, and then let's move forward. So who ended up mowing the lawn? Okay, well, Chase was willing to do it, but Mom and Dad ended up doing that. Now, we won't have that pattern happen too many times. Don't get me wrong. But the point is is somebody else could mow the lawn. What we're trying to encourage our kids to do is actually get to the point where somebody else can't do that. That is actually something that they are uniquely qualified and gifted to do. Now, that doesn't come at five years old or ten years old, but it might start coming by the time they get to high school collegiate years where they're doing something that really matters. It really has significance. It's really something that they're equipped to be able to do uniquely. So start small and allow them to prove themselves faithful. Start in in, in small areas in terms of responsibilities and challenges and goals. And let them prove themselves faithful. And because what we're trying to do is instill within the child a sense of, of self-discipline. We're trying to get them from parent discipline to self-discipline. And here's, a, here's an example. Uh, a few years ago, there was a, a pastor in a former church gave a sermon. And he said, kids, this is what I want you to commit to do. And I want you to raise your hand if you make this commitment. I want you I want you to accept the challenge of reading your bible 5 minutes a day. That's all I want you to do. 5 minutes a day. Is there any are there any parents here by the way who have children who have problems getting their children to read the scriptures on their own? You don't have to raise your hand if you're embarrassed. It, it's not, you know, kids just don't, oh great. I'm going to read the bible. You know, this is not a natural thing that happens with kids. Right? But the pastor said, five minutes a day, is that too much? Five minutes is five minutes. That's not too hard. So our kids accepted that. And his thought process was exactly right. Now our kids, a couple of them at least, are reading substantially more than five minutes a day as the words beginning to take root and so on and so forth. And so you start small. okay, And you begin to grow because you're trying to encourage them. And by the way, I don't spend a lot of time cajoling them into reading their scriptures. Okay, I might ask them what they're reading, I might ask them what they're learning, but I don't spend a lot of time with the whole uh, cajoling thing. And that was a real wise thing that the pastor, I think, encouraged them to do start small and grow. Encourage them to make choices. And this is this whole theme that Greg Harris has. If, if you're not familiar with him, he's the father of Josh Harris. A couple of kids that, did, that wrote, um, I can not remember their names, that wrote Do Hard Things. Uh, if you have high school kids and you haven't read Do Hard Things, I think they did it in the ministry. It's a great book to read. But um, his, his whole theme is getting a kid from the greenhouse to the cold frame to the field. And I'm not into, I, I, I couldn't make anything grow, so I'll, I'll probably screw this up. But in the greenhouse, you're controlling temperature very, and you're keeping it nice and warm and you're basically giving it the root to grow. You're putting, providing the environment in which the plant gets its start. In the cold frame, you're not regulating the temperature as much. You're beginning to let the temperature adjust, but it's not quite ready to go out into the field. The cold frame are the middle years. It's the years in which, after the greenhouse, okay, you begin to transition them into making choices on their own, thinking through problems, asking them questions from a biblical perspective. Why do you want to do this? Why is it that your friends are doing this? And so forth. And that's, those are the, what he would call the cold frame years. And he says the mistake that you make is either not keeping them in the greenhouse, okay? In other words, the whole idea, I've got to let my kids go live. I mean, my gosh. I mean, we, you know we can't shelter our kids forever. That's true. Uh, but we we don't shelter them enough. In other words, their core nurturer years, in which they need to be engrossed and basically just nothing saturated with scriptural, biblical worldview principles, and then they go to the cold frame. The inverse mistake that you can make is keep them in the greenhouse too long. All you do is keep them in the greenhouse. All you do is shelter them from the world, and then when they go out into it, then they you know I mean they're they're not prepared for it at all. So there's a transition. That needs to happen from the greenhouse to the cold frame to the field, and so in those middle years, you know, the, think about it. Think about what happens. The the, the the girl wants to wear makeup, right? At 12 years old, is 12 years old old enough to wear makeup? I don't know. I don't have girls, thankfully, but no, I don't know. I don't know. Is 12 years old? So I've seen parents, you are absolutely not wearing makeup until you're 12, you know, when you're 12 years old. You have to be blah. I've seen, you know, you are not dating until you're yada, yada, yada. You have to be blah. And I say, you're ask. I think, you're asking the wrong questions. You're having the wrong conversation. The right conversation is, why, why do you want to wear makeup? What's going on? What's important to you about why it is that you want to wear makeup? Well, my friends are doing it, okay? Why are we? Why are the friends doing it? What's important about that? Now you might—I don't know—I'm not a mom. I'm not do don't have girls. You might conclude that 12 years old, it's okay. I don't know under those circumstances. But what are you encouraging them to do? Okay, you're not just like saying, "Here's the rule. Rule the house. House rule. You've got to be 16 years old before you can wear makeup." Okay, you're encouraging them to actually start beginning to think through the issue of adulthood. Biblically, what would be the biblical reasons why we would wear makeup, Susie? Why do we do that? What are you trying to say? What's in your heart that you're trying to tell us about why that's an important thing to you right now, Susie? Let's have that conversation. Why do you think Jane, your friend, is doing it? Why does Jane say? And see where that conversation goes and see what biblical principles Susie can apply in thinking through the whole thing. And then we might say, I'm not saying we should, I'm just saying we might say, you know what, Susie, we've talked about it. I would like to pray with you about it. I'd like you to pray about it. And then I'm going to go with that decision. I'm going to give you the freedom to make that choice and live with those consequences. Now, sometimes we can do that if we go to the next chart. Sometimes we can't. But the the idea is you set limits only when necessary. Now, I'm not saying that we just let them go unbounded. Um, We throw them into the pool without teaching them how to swim. Uh, That we just let them, you know, we're going off and here's the car key, son, and the consequences are that you could wrap the car around the, the, the pole or worse yet, you could hit a pedestrian and kill them and you know the consequences, okay, deal with it, live with it. That's not, that's just reckless, right? That's not what I'm talking about. But we need to, as we move from director to counselor, give them the freedom to make decisions and, within reason, live with those consequences and let the consequences be the tutor. Now, where are we now in, these phase, in this phase? We're in the cold frame, we're not in the greenhouse. We've talked about responsibility. We've talked about biblical principles. We've talked about these things. We're giving them the thought process, and now after this conversation has occurred, we're allowing them to think about the decision and the consequences which may come. And we might say, okay, we've done the training with the car and so on and so forth, but if you wrap that car around the pole, don't come back to daddy with your hand out asking for more money for the next car because it ain't coming. Okay? Hear me well. It ain't coming. And when Daddy and when Johnny wraps the car around the pole, and then we say our prayers and thank God that Johnny wasn't hurt or killed, and Johnny comes back and says, "Dad, you know, I mean, sorry, John. You remember what I told you, okay? And the consequences be the guide, be the tutor. So that's the kind of freedom that we're talking about. Um, give them the freedom to fail. But overall, once again, the in the final analysis, the objective that we're trying to do is, if you go back to that whole thought about godliness, we're trying to encourage them to live a life of discipline in the context pointed at godliness, where they are self-disciplined in their studies, where they are self-disciplined in their relationships, in their work, in their worship, in their character, in their ministry. Now, my last thing I'll say is, does that mean that we can't have fun? No. No. That's not what I'm saying. There's time for leisure. There's time for recreation. There's time for enjoyment. There's time to let our hair down. That's all good stuff. But we tend not to have problems with that. That comes naturally. What doesn't come naturally is discipline. And what we want to encourage our children to do is to be self-disciplined. In, in closing, let me just say, I did eight years in military school. So I know the military drill pretty well. I did four years in high school, four years in college. And when you throw your hat up in the air at the end of, the, at the end of in commencement in military school, you can be sure that none of those cadets are sitting around thinking, thank God I can go off and, and now I can be more disciplined in this area and, and you know the rules that I had in military school I can apply more in this area. They're saying, thank God I'm free. I don't have to get up and I don't have to salute the flag at Reveille and I don't have to do this and I don't have to march to the noon meal formations and I don't have to do blah. Thank God I'm free. Okay, right? That's what's going on. Well, if that's the kind of discipline that we're instilling, which is thank God I'm out of the house. You know, I don't have the rules. Mom's not going to tell me I have to comb my hair. I don't have to do this and I don't have to do that. And thank God I'm free. Okay, I can go off and do my own thing. If that's what we've inculcated within our children by the time they leave, then I will humbly submit we didn't do it right. Because what we're trying to do, and I'm not saying it's utopian perfect and any of this stuff. the Kids will still be learning long after they're out of the house. What we're trying to do is encourage them to have character of self-discipline, that they're taking what they take in the greenhouse and what they take in the cold frame and apply it in self-discipline so that when they don't have the rules and regulations anymore they know how the pattern of discipline for their lives so I'm over I'm sorry but we do have some time questions comments we can probably stop the tape here on any topic things we need to think about